Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. Happy birthday. Um, I hope you enjoyed our birthday gift to you and that extra hour of sleep. That was from us. Um, we're taking the credit for that, so we love you guys and um, hope you enjoyed that this morning. This is as happy as the nine o'clock service should be all year, and I can see it in your smiling faces. Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians 4. We're going to be in Ephesians 4 today. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Raise your hand. We have people coming down the aisles who'd love to give you a copy of God's Word. Uh, we're going to be in God's Word this morning. Definitely want you to have a Bible. Just raise your hand and we'll get that to you. Um, if you're new here or visiting, my name is Calvin. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. So thankful you're hanging out with us this morning. And uh, we are um, going to start things off a little bit differently today. So here's what I need you to do. I need your help. We're actually going to have a little bit of a pop quiz. So what I need you to do is, is if you have a, your notes out in front of you and you're taking notes with a pen, get your pen out, get your paper out in front of you. I'm going to have you write something down. And if you're um, taking notes on your phone or not, taking out your, or not taking notes, take out your phone right now, get to your notes section. And, and I want you to, to answer this question. I'm going to start this morning with an opening question. It's this. It's how would others, how would others describe you? How would other people describe you? Here's what I need you to do. I'm going to give you like a minute. I'm not going to say anything. And I want you to write down five words that you think other people would use to describe you. If I were to ask someone else in your life close to you, hey, what, is, what are you like? What would they say? So here's what I'm going to ask. Please do this because we're going to come back to it later. And if you're not doing it while everyone's writing, you're going to be staring at me and I'm going to be staring at you and it's going to be awkward. All right. So for the sake of both of us, just take a minute, five words that people would use to describe you. Go. Not allowed to ask your spouse, that's cheating. Give you a couple more seconds. All right, five words for others to describe you. Just keep that somewhere safe. We're going to get back to that in a minute. And so here's um, what we're doing as a church right now. We're working our way through the Ten Commandments. And uh, this week we're on Commandment 8, and we, that is found in Exodus 20:15. It's four words, super simple. You shall not steal. So today we're talking about stealing. And here's the nice thing about today's message. Um, it's very, very straightforward. It's very, very simple. Don't steal. I think most of us would agree that stealing is wrong. I think Christians and non-Christians, we agree on this. I think if you were to ask 100 people in our society, uh, 99 of them would say stealing's wrong. The other one should probably be in jail, right? Like this is something that is widely uh, agreed upon, that stealing is a, a moral code violation. And um, here's what I want to do. I want to give us a definition of stealing for the sake of clarity this morning. Here's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about stealing. It's taking what is not yours or acquiring something through dishonest means. So it's both taking something that doesn't belong to you, taking something that belongs to someone else and taking it as your own, or it's acquiring something in a way that isn't honest. It's cheating people out of something. Right, so what are some things we tend to steal? Well, I think the one that comes up primarily for us is money or possessions, right? We think of bank robberies. We think of stealing people's credit card information, right? It's taking money out of the bank accounts, taking money out of the registers, stealing either money or possessions. I remember when um, Mary and I first got married, we were living in Orlando, 
And um, there was like this bubble of technology that happened right around like between 2008 and 2010. Did anyone have those like Garmin satellite things in your car? Right? Those are really cool for like two years before every cell phone had it, and that technology became quickly obsolete. Well, we had one of those in our car, and we were um, in downtown Orlando. We'd actually flown home for Christmas, and uh, we were up in Michigan, and then we flew back. We had gotten into Orlando at like 11 o'clock at night, and we were going to our car. We had kept it in the long-term parking garage, and we got to our car, and our windows were smashed in. And we'd made the mistake, we left the Garmin visible in our car, someone walked by, smashed our windows, took it, kind of ransacked our car, and the workers were like, yeah, if you leave anything of value in this airport, your windows are going to get broken. We were robbed. That's what we think of, right? But stealing is also acquiring money in a way that is dishonest. It's selling people things they can't afford and they don't need. It's tricking them. It's lying about the value of a product in order to gain more money. It's Ponzi schemes. It's predatory loans, right? It's scams. Like just a helpful hint uh, this morning, if you ever get an email from a Nigerian prince, he's probably not a Nigerian prince, right? They're probably using this story to get money out of you. It's not paying back money that you've borrowed. It's borrowing from mom and dad or a friend and having no intention to pay it back. It is cheating on your taxes. It's embezzling from a school or a church. Way too many stories in the news uh, of people taking advantage of generosity uh, from organizations. Um, Here's one. It's lying on loan applications. I uh, read a study this week that says of mortgages that default in their first year, over 70% of them have falsified information on the loan application. People are lying about how much they make, how much money they have, and they're doing that to get loans that they shouldn't be getting. They're buying things they can't afford. It's taking advantage of people. It's taking advantage of the elderly and being predatory in relationships to get money out of them. It's lying about how many hours you put into work in order to make more money. It's saying, hey, this job took 100 hours when in fact it took 80 hours. It's gaining money in a way that is dishonest. And listen, this is not a message about tithing, but God in his word says that we actually steal from God. We rob God when we don't give back our first fruits and tithe back to him. All right, we think of money, but it's not just money and possessions we steal. Uh, We can steal time from one another. Right, If you are just being lazy at work, if you're not working hard, if you are spending time on the job scrolling through social media rather than doing things for your company, you are stealing time. Right? If you are consistently late, right? We all have that person we know in our lives who is 20 minutes late for absolutely everything. You might be sitting next to that person right now. Don't look at them or point, right? But we all know those people. They're stealing time. It's like, man, this is time I'll never get back. When you waste people's time, when you are the boy who cried wolf and everything's always an emergency. In fact, it's never really emergency. You're taking people's time. When you don't hit deadlines, you're stealing time from people. When, when you say, hey, this project is going to take a month and it's actually going to take three months, it's stealing time. When you're not ready when you say you'll be ready. Then here's the third thing we steal. We tend to steal credit. And, and not like financial credit card credit, your credit score, but, but um, we, we, we take the, the glory that maybe isn't ours, right? Plagiarism is stealing credit. 
It's taking an idea that isn't yours and saying, hey, look at this brilliant idea that I came up with. It's taking all of the credit on a project when you maybe only deserve partial credit. It's using others' work for your personal gain. Right? It's being the guy in school everyone hates when there's a group project because you know he's just going to leech off the rest of the group. Right? We all had this in class where the teacher would announce a group project and there'd be this one kid that's instantly like pointing at the three smartest people in the class and is like, you're my partner, you're my partner, you're my partner. And they're like, oh man, I don't want to do this, right? It's because they know they're going to be taken advantage of. It's stealing credit. It's cheating. It's cheating in school, cheating on a test. You're getting a grade you don't deserve. It's cheating in a game to win. One of my favorite things to do recently is... Um, we have like a lot of um, younger staff at this church and they're young families and their kids are hitting that really fun age of like four, five, and six years old. So what that means is they're first starting to play organized sports. And um, this happened just a couple months ago. This happened a few times, but um, I was hanging out um, at church and I was hanging out with Pastor Craig and his wife, Sammy, came in and their little daughter, Natalie, had just started playing soccer this fall. And she's in her little soccer jersey, and she's all excited to play. And Sammy goes, hey, Natalie, guess what? Did you know that Pastor Cal used to play soccer? And they're like, uh, Cal, do you have any advice for Natalie? And Natalie looks at me, and I get down on a knee, and I'm like, you know what? I've got some really good advice for you. And she's like, what's that? I said, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. <laughs> and Sammy just looks at me like, are you serious right now? And I'm like, hey, not my kid, not my problem. You guys can <laughs> figure that out, right? Right? I love giving purposely bad advice to the young families in our church. It's very fun, um, right? But it's, it's cheating. It's getting credit for things that you don't deserve. I'm not sure why I told that story. It just makes me laugh. Okay, but here's what I do want you to see. One of the themes we've been seeing, if you've been hanging with us this fall, is that oftentimes in the Ten Commandments, it's not just the action that's the problem, but there's actually a heart condition behind the action that, that the Lord wants us to be aware of, right? You remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about you shall not commit murder. We looked at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, right, the law says do not commit murder, but I tell you, if you harbor anger in your heart against your brother, you've already committed murder against him, right? Last week it was adultery, and Jesus says the law says you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you have lustful intent against a woman, you've already committed adultery against her. Well, the same is true with stealing, there's actually a heart condition behind stealing that I need to bring to our attention. So look at Ephesians 4, verse 28. And just a reminder as you're turning there, um, Ephesians is one of the coolest books in the entire Bible. I, I tell people often, if you want to be certain about how awesome God's love is for you and everything that Jesus has done for you and what it means to be a Christian, start in the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians, the first three chapters, Paul just talks about how beautiful the gospel is and how great God's love is for us and everything that he has done for us. And then in chapters four through six, he talks about how the gospel then changes our hearts and how it transforms us and talks about so much of the power of the Christian life in the gospel. Right? It's an incredible book. So in chapter four, he's making that transition to talk about how our relationship with God changes us. And uh, here's what it says, Ephesians 4, 28. He says, let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And you see what Paul's saying there? He's saying a thief isn't a thief just when he stops stealing. 
but the heart has to change. And the thief, rather than taking what isn't his, he, he wants to work hard, work honestly, so that the end result is that he might share and be a blessing to others. So what the gospel does is it transforms our heart from saying, hey, what can I get for myself out of life and relationships to how can I be a blessing to others? And here's the heart issue behind this commandment. Is your heart filled with greed or is it filled with generosity? Do you have a heart that is filled with greed, right? Because stealing is just the playing out of a greedy heart. Or do you have a heart that is filled with generosity? So when I was a senior in high school, it was right around this time of year. It was kind of probably middle October, but we were in our soccer season and our team was really, really good. We were like only lost one game in the year. We were ranked number one in division four. And we knew like we have the team to win state. As long as we don't get hurt, as long as we don't play like idiots, like we're good enough to win the championship. It was talked about, it was obvious. And uh, we were practicing ahead of playoffs and we had a, a practice where um, it was like school was done at three and practice wasn't until five. So we had a couple hours to kill before practice. So our teammates were like, what are we gonna do with a couple hours to kill before practice? And so we decided to go to the Lakes Mall, right? Remember back in the day when people used to actually go to the mall? Right? It feels like forever ago. It's, it wasn't nearly as sad and depressing as it is now. So we went and hung out at the mall. And I was hanging out with some of the seniors. And um, I see Mark here. He was one of my teammates. I think we went to the food court to get some healthy food like an Auntie Anne's pretzel before practice and a Coke. Right? That's what we were doing. So we're like, hey, we'll meet you at the food court. And some of the younger players were, were like, all right, we're just going to go like walk around JCPenney. And... Um, so we go get some food, we come back, we meet them at JCPenney, and all of a sudden there's like a big commotion outside the store, and I see one of my teammates surrounded by uh, uh, mall security, and they've got him handcuffed. And he's one of our better players, and I'm like, oh no, what is going on? And, and so here's what happened, here's the story. Uh, this is one of our good players, an important player, we need him to win. He's walking through JCPenney, and he goes by an aisle, and he sees outrageously big diamond stud fake earrings. And he's like, oh man, these are sweet. I need to have these. So he thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to put them in my pocket and walk out of the store. What could possibly go wrong, right? Like never occurred to him for a second that there might be sensors at the door that track if people are stealing. So he's got his hands in his pocket. He walks out of JCPenney. All the sensors go off. And one of the workers yell at him and says, hey, stop. And this is what he does. He's like, I can get out of this. He goes, what? I didn't do anything. I didn't take anything. Didn't work for him either, right? They're like, we see the earrings rolling on the ground, right? And so all of a sudden they call security. They're getting ready to call the cops. And, and thank goodness, one of the managers knew a dad on the team and was a WMC alum or something sketchy. And he didn't get charges pressed. And, and, and he was able to play and finish the season. But I remember that day at practice, like I was mad at him. I was like, hey, we've been working all year for, for this run. We are in the playoffs. Like, what are you doing putting this all at risk? Like, you could be suspended. You could be expelled. You would be ineligible. Like, what were you thinking? And this is what he said. He said what he said was really, really interesting. He goes, Cal, he goes, I just saw the earrings, and the only thing I thought was I want them. Because I didn't think about the consequences. I didn't think about what it would do to the teammates or the season or school. He goes, I just saw them, and I was like, I have to have them. And I think that response is just a perfect picture of a greedy heart, right? And, and greed, you need to understand this, church, greed is a heart that's turned in on itself. Greed is a heart that says, what can I get? 
What can I attain for myself? How can others exist to benefit me? But generosity is a heart that's flipped out on others. I want to give what I have so that I can love and be a blessing to others. I heard someone say it this way once. I thought it was really, really good. I love analogies. And they said, when it comes to earthly possessions or money, do you view yourself as a cul-de-sac or an intersection? Right? Are you a cul-de-sac where the road ends with you and it's just, what can I get? What can I keep for myself? It doesn't go anywhere after it gets to me. Or are you an intersection where what you have moves through you and keeps going so that you might love and bless other people? And so what happens is, what Ephesians is saying is that when we believe the gospel, when God's love impacts our heart, um, generosity replaces greed. And a perfect biblical example of this is the story of Zacchaeus. Remember, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a traitor to the Israelite people, and he collected money for the Romans. And then on top of that, would steal against the Israelites. He would upcharge them in taxes and keep that as personal wealth. So no one liked Zacchaeus. Everyone knew he was a fraud, but they were powerless against him because he was backed by Rome. Well, Jesus meets with him, he he sees him, and when everyone else wanted nothing to do with Zacchaeus, Jesus moved towards this man and said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house, I'm going to have dinner with you, we're going to hang out. And and they talk with one another, and the result is in Luke 19, 8, it says, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, and you see the heart change right there. Zacchaeus has come to a point of faith in Jesus Christ. He knows Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah. And then he says, the half of my goods, I'm just going to give away to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'm going to restore it fourfold. Do you see the heart change? A guy whose life was defined by greed once he meets Jesus is like, no, no, no. I need to do what's right. I need to honor the Lord. And if I've cheated anyone, anyone, I'm going to go back and make it right. It wasn't enough just to stop stealing. He needed to be generous and and care for others. And so what I want to do with our time this morning is I want to talk about generosity and, and four things that generosity does. Here's the first. Generosity aligns our heart with God's heart. Generosity aligns our heart with God's heart. And church, we have to remember, everything is the Lord's. Right, Deuteronomy 10, 14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heaven, the earth with all that is in it. Everything exists for God. He is creator. It's all his. And one of the defining characteristics of God that we see in the Bible is he is generous with what he has towards us. Right? Life itself is a gift. The fact that we breathe and we are alive and we have consciousness, we don't deserve that. That's a gift from God. I was uh, writing um, my sermon on Thursday, and all of a sudden my phone started buzzing. And it was like text after text after text. And it was my family text thread. And my sister, Nicole, had just given birth to her son, Jack Maverick, right? A great um, Top Gun year name right there, right? Jack Maverick. And they were showing pictures and everyone was celebrating. Congratulations, we're so happy. That's my 16th niece or nephew now. And it's like, man, life is such a gift. We celebrate it. We, we are excited when those around us are, are pregnant and have a baby. It's a gift, right? And then we see in scripture, God, he, he doesn't just create man, but he creates this garden. And he says, I'm going to give you variety and every fruit of every tree is yours. And I'm going to give you the animals to look over and steward. And this is all yours. I'm going to create this beautiful world for you to live in. 
And then he gives man and woman to each other and says, I'm going to give you a partner to live life with. And I don't want you to be lonely, but I want you to experience intimacy and joy in relationship. And then when Adam and Eve, when they rebel against God, And they say, God, we don't want your plan. We're going to do it our way. Guess what God does? In the moment when Adam and Eve sinned, he promises, I'm going to give you a savior. That your failure is not going to be what defines human history, but I'm going to send my son who will defeat sin and death and Satan once and for all. And then he gives himself to a people and he says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a land for you and your descendants. And then he gives Jesus Christ his own son. And then if you read the Gospels, you know that Jesus, while he was on earth, he gave and gave and gave and gave. He was generous with his power, healing people who were sick. He was generous with his time, caring, teaching, loving on people. He was generous with his patience, dealing with idiot disciples who couldn't seem to get it. And he loved them and was patient, just like he's patient with us, right? He is so generous. And then ultimately, he gave his life for us on the cross, that we can know God and have relationship with God because Jesus generously and willingly died for our sin. And then it didn't end there. When Jesus raises from the dead, he gives us his spirit. The spirit of God dwells in us and it encourages us and it refines us and it grows us and it confirms in our spirit that we are indeed children of God. The spirit is a gift that we so often undervalue. God gives generously to us every day. The food we eat is the Lord's. The clothes we wear come from material that God created. Our families, our health is all God's provision. Do me a favor, turn to your neighbor and say, God has given you so much. Do you believe that? And so here's what I would say. Look at me, this is important. There should be no people on the face of the earth who understand generosity and run towards generosity in our lives more so than followers of Jesus. We've been given the greatest gift in the entire world. And what Ephesians is saying, what we see with Zacchaeus, is that has to transform our heart. And again, we just sang in church, Christ be magnified. Do you know how we actually magnify Jesus in our lives? We're generous with others in our love and in our possession and in our times because Jesus has been so generous with us. It's actually magnifying Jesus. Second thing we see is that generosity broadcasts where our hope lives. Right, Living generously is actually a very powerful and effective witness for Christ when we share what we have and give to others. Again, whether time, money, open our homes to others, we're communicating we have a hope that is greater than our bottom line. In Matthew 6, 19, it said this, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying it's a foolish investment to put your hope in the things of this world that are just going to waste away and you can't bring with you. All right, quick question. Raise your hand if you've already started Christmas shopping. Any type A people in the room like already getting on the list? Um, we are like that. We are doing that. And, and I always find that Christmas shopping is a little bit depressing. And, and here's why. Like, I love giving my kids gifts, but it's also a stark reminder that, like, everything we got them last year has no value to them anymore. Do you guys know that? It's like the shoes that they had to have, they're too big for. They've grown out of. The toy that, like, Judah was weeping in the store because he wanted so bad. He doesn't even know where it is in our house anymore, right? It's lost somewhere in the playroom. Like, things just lose their value so quickly. And Christmas is a reminder, oh, man, I've got to, like, start all over because things lose their value. Like, listen, everything we love and treasure right now is the stuff of future garage sales. Do you know that? 
Like people are going to be walking through being like, I don't want that crap. You know what I mean? Like that's the stuff we love. It's a little depressing to think about. So here's what Jesus is saying. Like don't put your hope in those things. That we have a hope that is imperishable. It cannot be taken away. Invest in those things and it's a witness for Christ. Here's the third thing it is. Um, Generosity is a disposition, not a destination. It's a disposition, not a destination. You don't arrive at a place of generosity. You choose to live with a generous heart. Um, A couple years ago, we were preaching on this same idea of generosity around Christmas time. And I had a young kid in his 20s come up and be like, man, I love that message. I'm super convicted. I want to be a generous person. So here's my plan. I'm going to spend the next 15 years not being generous at all. And I'm going to make a ton of money. Then I'm going to be super generous. What do you think about that plan? I was like, not great, right? And I'm like, you don't get generous when you hit a certain tax bracket. It's a position of your heart. And you can have a lot of earthly possessions and be consumed with greed. And you can have very, very little and be very, very generous. And I encourage them, start with generosity today. And that might just be taking someone out for coffee. Maybe that's all you can afford, but that is a way to bless someone. Look for ways to be generous in the process. Then you won't have to worry about being generous when you have more because you will have modeled it. It will be part of your life. But if you have this mentality that generosity, I'll get there someday when I have more, I'm worried you're never going to get there because you don't understand it's not a destination, but it's a disposition of the heart. Generosity flows from how we view ourselves, how we view God, and how we view others. If you don't see yourself as someone who's received much from God, you're never going to want to give much to others. It's everything to do with your identity. How do you view yourself? Then here's the uh, last thing we see, is that generosity comes with great rewards. And I wanna talk about three rewards that generosity has. The first is it comes with a clear conscience. If you live with generosity, it's actually going to lead to a healthy life with a clear conscience. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul writes this to a church. He goes, you remember, brothers, this is talking about when he used to be at the church. He goes, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaimed to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses and God also of how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Here's what Paul says, and I think it's fascinating. He goes, you remember how when we were with you, we didn't take advantage of you. He goes, what we preached, we actually lived. And Paul says, I can write you with a clear conscience because you are our witnesses that when we were here, we we didn't try to steal from you. We we didn't try to take advantage of you, but we lived in a way that was holy and honorable. And Paul goes, I can rest my head at night because I know I've lived with integrity. So it's interesting. Next week, we're going to go over do not lie. And I don't want to step on that passage too much. But here's what we're finding. Do you know secular science is once again finally catching up to the Bible? Secular science is teaching us that a key to healthy living is actually a clear conscience. That when you are living with lies or with guilt or with unconfessed sin, to put it in a a biblical term, do you know that that elevates your resting heart rate? Do you know that you don't sleep as well when your conscience isn't clear? Do you know that you're more likely to have heart disease and die young if you live a double life? Right, why? Because when you're stealing from someone, you're always one day away from getting caught. Right, and movies love to glamorize it, like, hey, we're living on the run. That's actually a terrible way to live. 
You can't have close relationships. You can't be vulnerable. You can't be honest. And what science is finding out is that truthful, honest people full of integrity tend to live more peaceful and better lives. It's like, man, if only someone would have written that like thousands of years ago, we could have saved ourselves so much trouble. But I digress. And later in this book, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes this. He goes, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed with you. Listen to this. So that we may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Okay, here's what Paul's saying. And church, this is important. It matters why people don't like you. Like, there's got to be good reasons for people to not like us. There's good reasons for people not to like Christians, and there's bad reasons. Like, because we believe that God is the ultimate authority, and that Jesus is the only way to salvation, and if we're not going to affirm what God calls sin, those are good reasons for outsiders or non-believers to not like us if they disagree. I can get my head around that. You know what a bad reason for people not to like Christians is? Because they can't trust us. Because we've been sketchy in business deals. Because we're selfish and take advantage of others. Like, listen, the people in your life who don't know the Lord and might not agree with what you believe, they better still be able to say, man, but they are generous and they're kind and they're honest and they're trustworthy. And I think what they believe is crazy, but I trust them with my kids. Paul's saying how we live and conduct ourselves matters. Here's the second thing it gives as a great reward. It gives a good reputation. And church, here's what I'm going to argue. People remember those who are generous to them. And one of the cool things about pastoring this church are there are so many examples I could give of people who just have a generous reputation in our church, and I'm so thankful for you. I want to highlight a couple. There's a lady in our church. I saw her uh, this morning. She's here. Her name is Debbie Hensler. And if you know Debbie, you know she is a generous person. And the primary way she's generous is she just like makes meals, I think, for hundreds of people a month. Like, like she is always like calling Mary and being like, hey, I just made this soup. Um, w- would you like it? And her food is amazing and incredible. And she'll just like drop it off at our house for no reason. Right, she just texted Mary this week and she like this picture of this amazing homemade blueberry jam she was making. She's like, I'm trying a new recipe. Would you like to be a taste tester? And then she just dropped it off at our house. So, so here's what happens. Because Debbie has been so kind and generous, when someone says the name Debbie Hensler, guess where my mind goes? Oh man, what a kind, generous person who makes incredible food and, and gives it to our family. Like, like I associate her generosity with her. Another example I have... Um, there's a, a man in our church, and he owns um, one of the, the big coffee places in downtown Grand Haven. And uh, this guy, was he's in my small group, and we were talking back and forth. And I'm like, yeah, our pastors hang out at your coffee place all the time, and we meet with people or we study while we're there. And he's like, oh, I think that's amazing. And the next week, he came to church, and he had with him, he had 10 $100 gift cards to his coffee shop. And he goes, give this to each of your pastors. And he goes, I just want you to know that like, if ministry is happening in my business, I want to pay for it because I love this church and I love what God's doing through you guys. I want to be generous. So guess what happens? When I go to that coffee shop or when I see the guy who owns it, I associate that with his generosity. Like what a kind person, what a generous person. Like he didn't have to do that. He gave our our pastors $1,000 to do ministry in his coffee shop because he wants to be a blessing to others and be used by the Lord. And listen, it doesn't have to be with money. Like there's people in my church who like I just know like, man, every time I see them, they're encouraging and they're kind and they're thankful and they go out of their way to to, to encourage me and to, to lift me up and that's generosity. 
What's your reputation? Then here's the last one. Um, it brings friendships. It brings friendships. And, and I think um, you guys understand why this is, but generous people tend to have friends, don't they? Right? Just like there's something about selfishness that repels people from them, generosity pulls people in. In fact, you know that Jesus told us that we should use our earthly wealth and possessions to make eternal friendships? In Luke 16, 8, he says this. He said, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And then in verse 9, he says, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, that they may receive you into eternal dwellings. So so here's what that means. That term unrighteous wealth, it doesn't mean sketchy wealth or money that we've stolen. But that word unrighteous, it means it means wealth that is failing that won't stand the test of time. So what Jesus says is use the wealth you have that you can't take with you that will not last to build into friendships that you will have in heaven that will last for eternity. Right, so here's what that means. Like if I see um, Paula and Michaela in heaven someday, like I'm gonna remember their kindness and generosity towards me and and I'm going to, to love them and remember the generosity they had towards me while they were here on earth and that will build a friendship in heaven. Right? In 10,000 years from now, I promise you, the things of this earth aren't going to matter, but the relationships we made and the people we blessed with what we had, we will continue to receive the reward from. Jesus, like, make the good investment, invest into eternal relationships. All right, so here's my big idea as we close. It's this. It's that stealing will never give you what only generosity can provide. And I want you to see God's heart behind this commandment. What he's saying is, is the reason I don't want you to steal, it's not just because it hurts others, but it actually hurts you. And God's saying, I'm giving you these commands because I want you to live a life that has a clear conscience, that gives you a good reputation, and that gives you a life full of friendships. And generosity is the path to those things. All right, so you know where I'm going, don't you? Pull that list back out for a second. All right, look at the five words you use to describe yourself. Can I ask you a question? Is generous on that list? It's kind of a convicting question, isn't it? And here's why I know it's convicting, right? Because we're Dutch West Michigan people. We make fun of ourselves for being stingy, don't we? Like that's a cultural context, but but listen to me. That can't be the description of us as followers of Jesus. What a way to be a witness and to be countercultural by saying, listen, I have been given so much. Jesus has been so good to me. I'm going to live a life that seeks to bless others. And church, here's my concern as we close. My concern is as you go to church today and people are like, hey, what was the message about? And it was do not stealing. And in your mind, you're like, all right, got that one covered. Right? I'm not stealing. I'm not defrauding everyone. I, I work an honest job. I, I, I'm not going to go to jail. I'm not breaking the law. And what I want you to see is, is, listen, you cannot be stealing. But if your heart isn't generous, and if in your mind you are being fueled by what can I get, what's in my best interest, if it's fueled by greed, you're still missing God's heart. And you're missing what God has done for us. So my prayer is as a church that we would be a church that is known for our generosity, that we'd be a church that seeks to be a blessing to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, this church. God, what a cool thing to celebrate 12 years together. And God, you've done so much and you've been so faithful. And God, I even think in this church, you've been so generous to us that our lives are defined by one thing primarily, and that's that you've been good when we 
have been less than faithful. So God, we just pray that we would um, have hearts that are transformed by your work, that we would seek to love others, to be generous, that, that, that our hearts would be transformed. We love you and need you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.